Well, today, uh, if you would, I'd invite you to pull out your teaching outline that's in your program. Um, It will help you and serve you well uh, as we go through the rest of our day. Um, So if you could pull that out. Now, today, uh, we are in our second kind of teaching of our series called Handling Toxic People. And today we're going to talk about uh, toxic family members. And when people told me, you're doing that on Mother's Day? Uh, That's not a good thing, Chris, you know. Um, But I realized, too, that moms in particular have the ability of knowing how to handle uh, when toxicity hits the home. And so I hope some of these things will help you, uh, moms, as you go through uh, your day. And because some of you uh, who are moms... You have a toxic husband, or you have a a toxic child, or a sister, or a brother. And so I want to give you some tips on how to do that. My uh, real hope today is that this message will be a message of hope. That for those of you who are going through some family stuff, uh, that you'll get some hope today uh, to know how to handle that in a better way. And the goal for all of us really is to how we can make these relationships healthier. And so um, we're going to begin by reading a passage of hope that will give us strength, and it'll come up on the side screens. And uh, let's go ahead, and uh, we'll read this together. Let's read it together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. You know, this whole thing of uh, handling toxic people It all, the reason we want to do this is because we want to learn how to love better. I mean, if you didn't want to learn how to love better, you'd just kick them to the curb. You know, you'd say, hey, forget them. I don't want anything to do with them. So the whole goal here is to love. And the idea here is that there are some people, though, who are difficult to love. And we have to realize that some people come with um, some toxicity. They're toxic. And we've got to know how to work through that. Now, when we talk about toxic people, I'm not talking about people who simply irritate you. Okay? There are a lot of people who irritate you. There are a lot of people that irritate me. Some people who are sitting in seats this morning are part of my irritation. You know what I mean? But we all have irritation in our lives. And let's just face it. Let's be honest. Sometimes your family irritates you, right? Heck, everybody in your family irritates you, right? At some point, I mean, everybody has an ability to get on our nerves once in a while. But I'm not talking about that when I refer to toxic people. But what I'm talking about when I refer to toxic people is a family member that looks a lot different. In fact, that toxic family member might look like this. That's ugly. Woo! You know? Now, many of us, what we think is that if just a person looked like that and we could spot them, then we would know that they were toxic. Or if they had, like, you know, some kind of sign around them and it said, I'm a toxic person. And we'd say, hey, you know what? We're not going to be around that person. The problem is, is that we don't know that. And you're never going to know that until finally... Their toxicity hurts you in some way. So we've got to kind of come up with a definition 
of what is uh, a toxic person. What does that look like? And so here's the definition. Toxic is when two people are stuck in a way of relating that is poisoning them both. That you're stuck in a way of relating with another person in which there is a poisoning that's happening to them. It's poisoning them both. It's hurting them both. They just can't seem to ever be around without there being some hurt. And maybe the other person brings it on and you hurt and and you just don't let it go. There's no hope. There's no help. There's no sense that it's going to get better. It just always seems when you're around that family person or that person in your life that there seems to be uh, some kind of hurt that happens. It's destructive. Toxic people are destructive. It's destructive to their health and the health of other people. It affects their spirituality. It affects the people they hurt spirituality. It affects their soul. And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, let's talk about a few facts of what a toxic family member kind of looks like. Uh, First of all is this, when it comes to toxic uh, family members. First of all, we all have them. All of us have them. There is no family that doesn't have a toxic person connected to it. And so I want you to know you're not alone with this. We all struggle uh, with this in our lives. In fact, the Bible actually talks about toxic family members in the book of Genesis. In the very first book of the Bible, in fact, in the very first family scene, what we find is a brother by the name of Cain kills another brother named Abel. Folks, that's toxic. There's another story about a guy by the name of Abraham. Still, We're still in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. But he goes out and he gets his uh, maid pregnant, and then he ships off his maid and his new child into the desert. That's toxic. I mean, that's like better than any soap opera. You know what I mean? And uh, there's another story about a guy by the name of Joseph. His 11 brothers come to him, and uh, they say, you know what? He's talking about this coat all the time and how great his coat is, and it's better than everybody else's coat. We're going to kill him. And they almost get ready to kill him, and then they say, no, 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 we're not going to kill him. We're going to sell him into slavery because we'll get more money. That is toxic. And then later on, it talks about this guy by the name of Lot. His two daughters get him trashed one night, and they have sex with him because they want a child that it would carry on uh, the lineage of their life, and uh, that's toxic. Now, folks, everything I just told you is in the first book of the Bible. And some of you are sitting there right now, and you're like, man, I thought my family was screwed up, you know? I mean, I'm not nearly as bad as uh, those folks in the story of Genesis. It's extremely uh, toxic. You see, in the very few, first few pages of the Bible, what it explains is that, is that there are toxic families. And what is it that lives out of this toxicity? Jealousy, entitlement, lying, favoritism, unfair expectations, power struggles, materialism, sexual sin, anger, selfishness, apathy. It's all there. 
And all of us have experienced something like that. That's what we mean when we talk about a person being toxic. Now, I want you to know that we're all imperfect. Every single one of us has our own faults. We all flub up, mess up, and screw up in this thing called life. None of us are perfect. But what makes a relationship toxic is when the imperfection gets stuck in such a way that you can't get unstuck. You get stuck in your sin. You get stuck in the past. You get stuck in unforgiveness. You get stuck in bitterness. You get stuck in resentment in your family. And that's what makes it toxic. So we all have toxic family members. The second thing that's a fact is all toxic relationships are not equal. All toxic relationships are not equal. Would you agree that there are some people that are more toxic than others? Would you agree with that? Yeah. There are some people in your family that are more toxic than others. I mean, some poison from, that comes out of people's mouths or their hearts or whatever, it lasts a lot longer and it's there a lot longer than other people. In fact, in uh, high school, uh, I took a chemistry class with uh, Mr. Wright. And Mr. Wright had polyester pants and uh, he held them up kind of like Steve Urkel. If you ever saw the show Family Matters, way up here and he'd walk around like this and he'd go, Hello, class. Today, my name is Mr. Wright, and what we want to do is memorize the periodic table. Now, I'm going to put this table up here on the board, and you can see we are going to memorize all of those elements. And that's, that was Mr. Wright. And uh, he would put this up, and one of the elements that he was really focused on was radioactive elements. And so this week, I kind of did a little research. Uh, since you know I don't work very much, so uh, I just went ahead and uh, looked something up. And the longest radioactive element out of all the radioactive elements is uranium-238. And anyone want to guess what the half-life or the time span is of it? 4.5 billion years that it will remain radioactive. So you're just a little bit off over there. Um, now, uh, the, the least radioactive element in all the radioactive elements is radon-222. And that half-life, or the life of that, is 3.8 days. So when it comes to relationships, this is what I want you to know. You've got to know, is this a toxic person that is going to be toxic for a long, long, long time, and there may not be any change whatsoever, they are uranium-238? Or is this just a person who every once in a while, things happen in, relation, in a relationship with them, that there becomes some anger and there comes some toxicity, but it's only going to last three or four or five days? You see, some toxic relationships in your family, you know today when you do Mother's Day, that person is going to be so toxic because they were toxic 10 Mother's Days ago, okay? But there might be somebody in there that they just had a bad week and they would, you know, be upset maybe today, but in three or four days they'll be 
fine. Okay, the third toxic fact is this. When it's toxic, you must act. You must act. You don't have a choice. You must act. Now, if you have uh, something in your home or your house right now, and you went home and you found out that it was poisonous, that it was toxic, or maybe it was something that was radioactive, and it was in your house and you knew about it, what would you do? You'd get it out, right? You'd get it out as quickly as possible. You wouldn't study it. You wouldn't go home and say, you know, I'm going to look on the Internet for three weeks and try to figure out what this radioactive thing is in my house. It's very interesting to me to try to dissect it. No, you wouldn't do that at all. You would get somebody as quickly as possible to come in and to remove it from your house. When it's toxic, you have to act upon it. Friends, when you have something that is too toxic, you can't just leave it alone and think that it's going to get better over time. That's what happens in families all the time. There's one toxic person, but everyone's afraid. No one wants to confront. And so you just let that person consume the entire family. Now, like I said last week, sometimes you just have to separate and walk away from that. But sometimes with a family member like that, you have to actually go to them. And the good thing is, is that God says, I will give you some hope. I'll give you strength that you don't have on your own to be able to handle that toxic family member. So today, that's what I want to do. I just want to give you three prayers that you can pray as you deal with the toxic family members of your life. Now, here's the first prayer. Give me strength to accept my limitations. Give me strength to accept my limitations. Now, if you were Superman or you were Superwoman, you would not have to worry about toxic people. But you're not. You're indestructible. You are going to get hurt. It's just going to happen. It's a part of life. And people in your family tend to hurt you more uh, than those outside your family. You're just a human being. We all are. And you're going to get hurt. Now, last week, if you remember, I talked about how Jesus dealt with toxic people. And uh, Jesus sometimes walked away. Sometimes he confronted. But I gave a whole series of ways in which you can do that. And so I'd encourage you to go in the back before you leave today and uh, pick up that CD if you weren't here last week so that you can know how to handle toxic people like Jesus did and it'll help you in the rest of the series. But the first prayer is you have to accept your limitations. You have to accept your limitations. You have to know who God says you are. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we get a great picture about what God says you are, who you are. In fact, it's kind of uh, the key verse of where we got the name of the jar. Uh, And so let's read this uh, together. We are like, that means all of us, by the way. Here we go. Here we go. Let's try it again. We are like clay jars in which this treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us. And if you would, you could circle that phrase, clay jars, on your teaching outline. That's the big thing you need to understand. 
You see, folks, we're all clay jars. We're just all common, and we're breakable. We can be broken. That's who we are. And yet, there is great freedom that is found in knowing who you are. Not trying to be king of the universe, not trying to be the Lord of all, just accepting the fact that, you know what, I'm a clay jar. That's who I am. Now, God says that he gives us a treasure in this clay jar. Later on, the scripture talks about his love and his power that is in us. But what's on the outside, folks, is breakable. Our emotions, our bodies will break. Our bodies won't be here forever. And sometimes, if you're like me, I don't think the right way. I don't do the right things. I need other people around me to help to be able to do that. Because I'm just a clay jar. But what's inside of me is God's strength and his power, his treasure. Folks, I can't tell you how freeing it was when I read this scripture and got it. When I finally realized that there is total freedom in Jesus Christ because ultimately I'm not God, and I'll give that point here in just a second, is that I don't have to be in control of everything. I mean, God's picture of you and God's picture of me is a clay jar. Now, some clay jars make six figures. Some clay jars are unemployed. Some clay jars are, uh, you know, living in a homeless shelter. It doesn't matter, but at the end of the day, folks, you're just a clay jar. Some people are plain on the outside. Some people, they do it up big time. I mean, you don't even know who they are because they put so much masking on. But at the end of the day, folks, they're still just a clay jar. Some clay jars are really tall. Some are short. Some are a little bit wider. Some are, you know, a little bit thinner. But at the end of the day, we're all just a clay jar. In fact, if you would, turn to the person beside you, kind of like the energy you had in celebrating our moms, just turn to them and tell them, I am a clay jar. Okay? Go ahead. Turn to the verse beside Now, some of you sound like you said more than that. I don't know. There's probably a husband out there that said, I'm a clay jar, but I'm a stud clay jar. Um, we're all clay jars, folks, and that means that we have limitations, we have weaknesses, and we have to be honest with our limitations. And the first limitation that you have to realize um, in dealing uh, with toxic family members is this, is that I am not God. That's why I wanted you to write the whole thing out, because some of us get confused on that sometimes. But uh, you're not, okay? Uh, I am not God. We all know that, but sometimes we get sucked in to believing that we can get everything fixed around us. And yet, God's saying, no, 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 you're just a clay jar. You're not me, you're not God, you're a clay jar. And that means that you can't control everything. Some of you are still dealing with some toxic things that happened in your life a long time ago. And maybe you got hurt. Maybe there's some pain. Maybe some family member did something to you, hurt you in some way. 
And you've been just holding on to this, and you're trying to control it. In fact, you think that you can get it all figured out. And so you start feeling guilty, maybe, or you feel bad, and you just think, well, if I would have done this, or if I would have done that, or if I would have said this, then I could have controlled the situation. Folks, you're not God. Bad things are going to happen to you. People are going to hurt you. Other people have responsibility for their actions. You simply have responsibility for the choices that you make. But the idea that you could control everything that's in your family is a joke. You're not God. The second limitation is this. I cannot force someone to change their mind. I cannot force someone to change their mind. Now, here's the crazy thing about this one. We think we can do this, even though God himself says, I don't force people to change their minds. Did you realize that? God will never force you to change your mind. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the power to do that, because he can do anything. But he chooses not to. God doesn't relate to us in a way in which he manipulates us or twists our arms to uh, do what he wants us to do. He says, this is what I think will make your life the best of all, and I'll do anything I can to work in the midst of that. But he won't force it. And sometimes, though, we think we can do that in our families, that we could get people to actually change their mind and do things in a healthy way. And we'll think things like this. Well, if I was just nice enough, if I'm just smart enough, if I'm sneaky enough, if I just whatever enough, I can get that person to change their mind. I'll force this person to do it my way. You can't do that. Now, the reality is you probably can pull it off a time or two, and you can get someone to change their mind, but eventually you're going to get stuck, and there'll be some kickback there. You just can't do it. You can't force another human being to change their mind. And especially moms. You can't change your kids. Sometimes there's so much frustration and worry and concern because moms are trying to get their kids or they're concerned. And we love the fact that our moms are loving and caring like that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, folks, if you're a mom, you can't change your kids either. And if you try to do that, if you manipulate, if they twist their arm in such a way, you're going down a road of toxicity when someone else tries to change another person, the relationship can become toxic. Here's a third limitation. You have weaknesses. You have weaknesses. Now, that's difficult, especially for men to realize um, that we have weaknesses. But you do. We all have strengths, but we all have weaknesses as well. And some of those weaknesses... Uh, deal with the way that we relate with people when uh, they're toxic around us. And we've got to watch it because they may have a particular toxicity that you can get kind of, you know, sucked into. It was so funny last night. Uh, our family had this family get-together, and there's someone in the family that uh, kind of started uh, talking a certain way, and uh, you could tell that it might lend itself towards some kind of gossip, and uh, if, 
you're not careful. Have you ever noticed that before? You'll be in a family situation and someone starts talking about someone and pretty soon you just kind of sneak in a little bit and you kind of add your two or three cents. You see, the problem is, folks, is that when that happens and you get in there, it just shows your weaknesses. I mean, if you're a gossip, for instance, uh, and there's a person who's a toxic gossip and you have a temptation sometimes maybe to kind of get into that, you can easily go down a wrong road. And if I get involved in that, it takes me down a place I don't want to go. If I get involved in that, I can fall into temptation. Now, we tell this to teenagers all the time, don't we? We say, choose your friends carefully. Don't hang around those people because you will go down this road. But sometimes when we become 30 or 40 or 50 years old, we're like, I don't need to do that anymore. You've got to be careful of where you go because you have weaknesses. Now, Paul, who was uh, probably the greatest Christian who ever walked planet Earth, he had freedom, and he was okay with the fact that he had some limitations. He had some weaknesses. And in 2 Corinthians, this is what he says. And then God told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger what? I become. There's a guy who has discovered the freedom of recognizing that I'm just a clay jar. I've got limitations. I've got weaknesses. I'm not going to look in the mirror and think I'm a horrible person or have low self-esteem. I just realize that there are only some things I can do in my life if I have God's strength in the midst of this. I don't try to pretend to be something that I'm not. I don't put a mask on. I don't act a certain way around some people and certain ways around other. I'm just a clay pot no matter where I stand. I have to face it that when it comes to my family relationships, folks, you're going to have some weaknesses. Some of you know that my uh, brother battles with schizophrenia. And uh, he wasn't diagnosed until about the last five years, but there were some crazy things that happened in our family system over uh, the course of my 40 years. Now, there were some good years in there, but the reality is there were some really weird years. And uh, a few years ago, my brother started this habit in which he would call me at 2 a.m. in the morning. And sometimes he would call and he would just ask and say, Hey, Chris, what are you doing? It's 2 o'clock. What do you think I'm doing? You know, I'm sleeping. And uh, he would just have this tendency to do that. And he would call and I'd pick up the phone. And, you know, I don't mind, uh, you know, even if it's good news, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't want to know. So if you have good news, wait till 6 in the morning, then call me, okay? I don't want to know at that point, let alone anything that's bad. Well, he would call, 
and uh, he would have bad news. Um, since he was paranoid schizophrenic, he would call and he'd say, man, I'm really scared that I got cancer. Or uh, he would talk about being angry about different things. And he would be very irrational. And so what I would do is I would try to calm him down. I would say, well, hey, did you think about this? Or did you think about that? And the more that I attempted to try to calm him down, the angrier he got. And pretty soon, he started saying ugly things about me. He would say ugly things about my wife. He'd say ugly things about my mom. And pretty soon, he would get so mad that he'd just hang up the phone. And then I'd just sit there in bed. I'd just lay there like, oh, man, you know. What could I have said differently? What could I have done differently? Now, most of you right now know what I should have done. The answer is very obvious, isn't it? If someone is irrational and they call you at 2 in the morning, should you try to reason with them? Is that a good idea to try to, you know, do that? No. If someone calls uh, calls you and they're saying ugly things about you, do you have to listen to it? No. It's not a good idea. The answer is so obvious. When he called at 2 in the morning and he was saying ugly things about me, what did I need to do? Hang up the phone! Some of you are sitting there right now, well, I knew that. I should have taught this message. Jeez. I came from Mother's Day. I could have, you know, stayed at home and done this. Now, I knew the answer, but what is it that kept me from doing that? Because that's the key. What keeps you from getting to it? What kept me from just hanging up the phone the first time when he started saying those kind of things? I wanted an answer for my brother because he's sick. I wanted to work it out. I wanted to somehow think that at 2 in the morning we could make everything right in his life and things would be better. And so finally, I just had to realize I have limitations. I'm not the answer guy. I don't have an answer for everyone and what they're going through. I have certain weaknesses. I have certain limitations. I need to accept them. You know, today, some of you are in a toxic situation. It may be new. It may have been going on again and again and again and again. But the pattern that you have just keeps persisting. And maybe today, the biggest thing that you could realize is that you have limitations. And you accept it. You just say, I'm not going to be able to change anything. I'm not going to get so anxious when they say horrible things about me. I'm going to learn how to separate myself and not get consumed. I accept the fact that I have some limitations. You let God do what God needs to do. You let other people do what they need to do. And you simply do what God calls you to do. But you can't be all things to all people, no matter how much you love them. You're not God. You have weaknesses. You have limitations. Now, I was thinking about it this week that I don't just want to talk about these things, but I actually want to have just a short prayer about these things as well. And so I'd just like to 
go ahead and just uh, have a chance for you to pray, just a, a 20 seconds here, where we would pray about uh, this need to accept our limitations. So let's bow our heads. Let's just pray. God, strengthen me to accept my limitations. Strengthen me to accept myself for who I really am. The situation for what it really is and to look for your strength. And maybe you can just listen to his voice. Maybe he'll give you some hope, some truth. Father, thank you that you accept us for who we are. You accept us in our limitations. Clay pots, cracked pots, whatever, you accept it all. We are grateful for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The second prayer. God, enable me to forgive my family. God, enable me to forgive my family. Now, I realize that even as I say that, some of you are struggling right now to be like, you just don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they hurt me. Well, folks, forgiveness does not mean that you accept what they did to you. Forgiveness does not mean that you say, oh, it's okay what you did to me because it's not okay. It was wrong. Maybe it was even evil. And you call it that. Forgiveness is not saying that something isn't wrong or isn't evil. Forgiveness does not mean that you trust the person at the same level as you did before. But forgiveness means this, that you release it and you let it go to God. Forgive means to release it and you let it go to God. You say to God, instead of holding on to this thing and trying to get revenge on my own, I'm just going to release it into your hands because your hands, I believe, are bigger than mine. Because if you try to hold on to it for yourself, it will inevitably lead to bitterness and resentment and anger and all of those things towards that person who hurt you. I mean, they've probably already forgotten it. That's the problem. When people hurt you, they don't remember that very long because if they're toxic, they're on a war path to go hurt the next person. They remember what you did. So you release it. You give it to God. You say, here it is. I let it go. I forgive them. I do not have a desire for revenge. You know, forgiveness, folks, is a huge issue in families because families were designed to be close. So we hurt each other in little ways, and we hurt each other in big ways. And moms see this all the time. That's why they're so forgiving. Even Jesus had to deal with this with some of his followers. Look at this interaction he had with his closest friend, Peter. One day, Peter comes up to him and he asks, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, 
One interpretation says that when Peter uses the word brother, he's talking about all of Christian brothers. But it doesn't necessarily say that. But he had an actual brother. His name was Andrew. He was one of the 12 disciples. And uh, you get a sense that Peter kind of comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, Lord, this guy has been, you know, bugging me our entire life. And he's still bugging me. How much do I need to forgive him? And I think Peter's feeling kind of generous. And he's like, hey, you know what? I'll forgive him seven times. I mean, it might be hard. I may not be able to do it perfectly. But I think I can attain that goal of seven times. And uh, Jesus looks, and he's like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And he goes, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, some of you are accountants out there, and you're like 490 times. I've done that. I'm done. Okay? Jesus wasn't giving a particular number. He was just saying, I'm going to make it so big that you can't get to it. And pretty soon, Peter's like, I can't do that. And Jesus said, exactly. That's why you need me. You can't forgive people on your own, Jesus said. You need me. And when you turn and you ask him for that, he has you exactly where he wants you. I don't know about you, but the only way that I'm able to forgive some people sometimes is by realizing how much God has forgiven me. You see, Jesus has forgiven me much more than 490 times. He has forgiven me millions of times. And the only way I forgive other people is knowing what he's done for me. So Jesus takes this number and he throws it out there. It's like high jump. You know, if he would have said seven feet, the person might have, Peter might have been like, you know, I'm going to try to do that. But when he said, no, 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 70 times seven feet, 490 feet, can you high jump that? He's like, no way. He said, exactly. That's why you need me for your strength. Now let me share with you something that happens in family situations and then I'll give you a couple of verses and uh, we'll close up with our last point. Suppose in your family uh, that uh, you find out someone's spreading gossip about you. I know it doesn't happen in your families, okay? But uh, let's say this hypothetical family, okay? And they're spreading gossip about you and you hear about it. And the real question that you have now is, you know, I've been going to this church thing and I'm kind of connecting with God. What should I do? Well, then you start wondering, should I forgive them immediately? Should I wait until they come to me to forgive them? Should I write them a letter or a note or go to them face to face and say, I forgive you for treating me like this? I mean, how do you handle this situation? Well, one verse is in Ephesians 4.32, and it says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is immediate. You do it right then. We forgive others immediately, just like God forgave us. But then look at Luke 17. It says, if you see your friend doing wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it is a personal attack against you, and it's repeated seven times throughout the day, and seven times he says, I am sorry, I won't do it again, Jesus said, forgive him. So is this verse saying, wait until that person comes to you before they forgive him, the first one? No. It says, you forgive somebody immediately, just as Christ forgave you. You immediately take them and you forgive them to God. You say, God, I forgive this person. 
But when do you actually say those words? That I forgive you for what you did. Well, the next verse tells us that you forgive them when they come to you and they say, hey, I screwed up, I messed up, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Then you forgive them. So you forgive them immediately to God when you feel unforgiveness in your heart and you let it go. And then when they come to you, you forgive them because you already have forgiveness in your heart. You can give it away because you already have forgiven them to God. But have you ever seen this before? A person uh, gets hurt and they say, well, I want to forgive that person. So they write them a letter. And maybe it's somebody that was in your old office and you've left and you left bad blood, but you're like, I'm going to forgive them, so I'll write a letter to them. Or uh, maybe it's someone that you grew up with years ago. They did something. They you know, stole your bike or something. You're like, hey, I'm going to forgive them, so I'm going to write this down. So you write this letter to them. You tell them that I have forgiven you for this, and then pretty soon you get a letter back that says, I didn't wrong you. You wronged me. And then all of a sudden it just like churns up everything that already happened a while ago. Folks, you wait until they come to you. You release them to God and you say, God, I forgive them in my heart. And then when they come to you, that's when you can forgive them. You can't forgive them before that. And this type of toxicity, though, happens in families all the time where we try to give this idea that we are a holy person because I'm forgiving you for messing up. For instance, let's look at it this way. A spouse comes to another spouse and they get in some argument. And then later on in the day, they come up and they go, you know, I just want you to know that I forgive you for what you said and the argument that you did. I want you to know that you're forgiven for the mean, nasty, horrible thing you said to me and I can't believe you said it, but I forgive you. And all of a sudden, you're waving this flag of forgiveness, but it feels like you're jabbing everybody around you. That's not forgiveness. You can even take forgiveness and make it toxic if you want to. I forgive you, you know. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a horrible, nasty, mean, ugly. Oh, yeah, I feel it. I feel the love, you know. You forgive it immediately, and then you forgive them face-to-face when they ask for it. Folks, you keep on forgiving no matter what. Why? Because that's the way God forgives you. You just keep forgiving. Now, do you trust them the same? No. Trust is an earned commodity. They have to earn your trust, but you forgive them again and again. You just don't get sucked in to their own toxic stuff. Again, you need God's strength to do this. And so let's, uh, let's just share a prayer here real quick that I hope you can forgive someone in your family uh, maybe today. Let's pray. God, you know the families that are represented here, that even on Mother's Day there's some stuff that people need to really get resolved. And so you could just pray, God, enable me to forgive my family. Thank you for sending Jesus who forgave all of my sins. Help me to seek your strength that I can forgive others. You've forgiven me for so much. 
I can only return in forgiveness to others. Show me how to do this, Father. I can't do it on my own. In Jesus' name. Last thing, and then we're out of here. Last prayer. God, accept. God, free me to accept your love. You just say, God, free me to accept your love. The truth is, to deal with toxic people in your life, especially family members, you need to know that that relationship is not one that is always going to work. You need a relationship that you can count on forever. And the only one that you can count on forever, the only one in which uh, we'll never walk away, we'll never withdraw, we'll never deny you, we'll never ignore you, is the relationship with God. You see, God has a perfect love for every single person in this place. Your family and your spouse even does not have a perfect love for you. And if you think that they will have a perfect love or there will be a human perfect love out there someday for your life, it's not going to happen. Only God can love you perfectly. And yet, if you live that life of where you try to find perfect love in humanity, you'll be sorrily mistaken at the end. So you've got to find a perfect love who will love you no matter what, toxicity and all. And that love comes with God. And as you receive a relationship with Him, then you're able to love the other people in your life better. The Bible says this, And so we know... And rely on the love God has for us. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. You know, the ultimate picture of love, folks, is of a story in the Bible in Luke 15 of the story of the prodigal son. And... When we celebrate Mom's Day today, the reason we love our moms is because they have this great capacity of loving no matter what. But even their love, no matter how wide it is, eventually is going to fail. But there's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son. It's about this guy who goes out and he squanders his wealth on women, wine, all kinds of stuff. And he finally comes to his senses one day and he thinks, I'm going to come back to my father. And when I come back to my father, maybe he'll hire me as a hired hand. That I won't be in the family, but I'll be outside the family, but he'll let me come back. And the scripture says this. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, And kissed him. You see, the image of love that God the Father has for you is one who is constantly on the front porch or the back porch looking out for you. And he doesn't wait for you to run towards him. Once he sees that you take one small step towards him, he runs full board, reaches out his arms in love, and embraces you and loves you because that's the kind of love God has for you. And yet some of you might be thinking today, well, how do I know that? How do I know that God loves me? The Bible says this, God has shown us love by sending his only son into the world so that we could have life through him. 
Folks, there's no one in this world who will love you, not even mom, as much as what Jesus will. He's the one that knows you best. He's the one that loves you most. He's the one that no matter what, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, however messed up and toxic your family is, he's going to love. And so as we kind of close out our time here, I just want you to stand and uh, I'd just like to have a prayer that we close with so that as we go into the rest of Mother's Day, that we'd be geared up to know how to love our families in a healthier way, even if that means to separate sometimes, and that uh, we would receive the love of the Father. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would free people up today to accept your love. That they would accept their limitations, that they would engage in forgiving their family, and that right now in this moment, God, they'd say, you know what, I accept you, I receive. Kind of our last prayer is it's not even a written out prayer, it's a scripture text. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you so much that you love our moms on this special day. And we're so thankful that you love our families. And I pray that today, God, that people would receive your love. And throughout this week, whenever things happen in their family and it feels like it's becoming kind of toxic, that they could pull out this sheet and they could pray these prayers again and again and again, asking for your strength forgiving those who hurt them and receiving your amazing love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, there's prayer up here. Thanks. Happy Mother's Day, everybody.